Turn with me to Genesis chapter 40. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to pick up on Joseph's story as we continue in week five, and you'll be glad to know we're past the halfway point um, in our sermon series on the life of Joseph, life unscripted, so to speak. Uh, And let me say as we begin that despite the evidence to the contrary, Joseph's life is a testimony, amongst other things, to the truth that God never, ever forsakes us. Amen. No matter what the circumstances, and just in case you start to, to, to wander in your mind or even fall asleep in the next, uh, next few minutes or so, I want to give you the, the key takeaways up front, up front from the life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 40 before we read it together. Um, and really the two key takeaways are sandwiched between um, two songs, uh, two, two, two songs, one from uh, scripture, ancient scripture, the first takeaway uh, song is about 3,000 years old, Psalm 27, where David says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Therefore, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And then the second takeaway uh, is in the words of the song that we've just uh, listened to. A song, as I said, that could have been specifically written uh, for Joseph, especially in the circumstances that we're going to read about in just a moment. And you remember what the song said, lay down your head tonight, take a rest from the fight, don't try to figure it out, just listen to what I, God, am whispering to your heart. Because I know this is not anything that you thought the story of your life was going to be. Uh, And it feels like the end has started closing in on you, but it's just not true. There's so much of the story that's still yet to unfold. And this is going to be a glorious unfolding. And it was for Joseph, and it can be, (coughs) excuse me, for you as well. So let's read in Genesis 40 uh, of Joseph's seemingly unscripted, unpredicted life, which was actually the unfolding of God's plan for him although he may not have realized it or appreciated it at the time. So in in chapter 40, uh, you remember that uh, Joseph had a problem with Potiphar's wife, and uh, he was accused, wrongly accused. He was thrown in jail. And so it says, Sometime later in jail, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt uh, offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. And when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream, and he said to him, in my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. 
But when, all, uh, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in, in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread, and the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what that means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will, <laughs> will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. What an interpretation. Um, now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials, he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of the officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hands. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. I believe God will bless the public reading of his word. So Joseph has just been... Uh, falsely accused and thrown into prison uh, uh, by the, the lying accusations of Potiphar's uh, promiscuous wife. Uh, although this Egyptian prison didn't resemble the, the, the dry cistern or the pit outside Dothan that his brothers had thrown him into a few years before, but the feelings were the same. Joseph must have felt abandoned again, rejected again, forgotten again, and he was at risk of losing heart. So he had to learn to wait on God. And as he did, he discovered that just as God was with him when he served in Potiphar's house, God was also with him here in the prison. And so he trusted that he would still see the glorious unfolding of the goodness of God in the land of the living. And let me say, before we get into the details of, of, of Joseph's story here in chapter 40, as, as Christians, of course, we're sure of the eventual prophetic outcome of the events of human history, aren't we? In that a day is coming, and it might, it might be soon, we don't know, when God will vindicate the righteous, he will establish his rule, he will heal every hurt, and he himself will be the center of everything. But until then, we need to accept that there's going to be, there's going to be setbacks in life, there's going to be trials, there's going to be things that will cause us at times to wonder uh, about God's presence and his purposes in our lives. And I came across this little limerick that reminds us of this. It says, the world had a hopeful beginning, but we ruined our chances by sinning. We know that the story will end in God's glory, but at present, the other side's winning. And there's times it feels like that, isn't it? Isn't it? And so, as we get into Joseph's story, uh, let, let me ask you a couple of questions related to Joseph's story, really. How do you deal with life when your hopes are raised to the heavens only for them to be dashed to pieces on the ground? How do you respond when after you seem to have done everything right, everything seems to be going wrong for you? How do you respond? Can you really expect to see the goodness of God when not so good things keep happening to you? Well, from the beginning of Joseph's story in Genesis chapter 37, uh, right through to where we're at now in Genesis 40, God's presence would appear to be hidden and apparently silent 
as Joseph's life gets progressively worse and worse. In Genesis 37, we've seen the presence of the hidden God in Joseph's suffering from the hands of his dysfunctional family. In Genesis 38, we've seen the presence of the hidden God in Judah's sin. Uh, in Genesis 39, we've seen the presence of the hidden God in Joseph's temptation. And here in Genesis 40, we'll see again the presence of the hidden God in his imprisonment. Now, to talk about the presence of the, of the hidden and silent God might seem to be contradictory in some ways. But you know, the 17th century French theologian Blaise Pascal put it well when he wrote, What can be seen on earth indicates neither the total absence nor the manifest presence of divinity, but the presence of a hidden God. Everything bears his stamp. There's the image of the divine in every aspect of life. But what seems to be especially hard to understand about Joseph's life is that he was doing all the right things. But every time he did something good, it seemed like something bad happened to him. He had obediently carried out his father's will to go find his brothers, but he was ruthlessly then stripped of his coat, thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. When Potiphar's wife repeatedly demanded to have an affair with him, he resisted her because he recognized it was a sin against God. He did what was good, what was godly, what was God-glorifying, yet it resulted in him being falsely accused and thrown into prison. And from our human uh, emotions perspective, you know, we often respond to such circumstances like this. Well, you know, hang on a minute. I've been good. God should treat me fairly. And we love, as Christians or even non-Christians, we love the fairness doctrine, don't we? We love the fairness doctrine. We often apply it to God. But listen, the God of the Bible is not fair as we understand fair, but he's just and he's good. If he were fair, listen, if he were fair as we understand fairness, there's not a person here this morning or on planet earth today who'd have a hope of anything except suffering in a lost eternity away from his presence. But thank God he's not fair in that sense. He's just and he's good. And there's a determination in him to build his good, his righteousness into us, whatever it takes. But sometimes we have to learn that godly character rarely grows in an atmosphere of privilege as often as not, godly character is developed in the dark rooms of dashed hopes, of disappointments, of waiting. And I don't know who said it, but I love this observation. When you're going through something hard and wonder where God is, remember the teacher is always quiet during the test. Not true? That's very true. See, God was building Joseph's character in a, in a physical prison environment. But you know, prisons come in different forms to different peoples or to different people. We can be imprisoned by our circumstances. We can be trapped in situations that we're powerless to change. We can be imprisoned by expectations of others. We may be imprisoned by guilt from things that we may have uh, done or have happened years before. But regardless of what our prison experience is and that we may find ourselves facing, one of the things that we have to keep in mind as we examine Joseph's life is that God is not so much interested in our circumstances as he is in our response to our circumstances. 
And since 2 Timothy 3 and 12 reminds us that those who will live godly lives will suffer persecution and hardship, from this episode in Joseph's life we can learn how to live uh, to live in, uh, in undeserved and unpleasant circumstances with faith and with hope and with love to the glory of God and for our own sanity and for our own serenity as well. And as I look at these events in Joseph's life, one of the things that amazes me is, is how many things God is doing at one and the same time. How many things he's accomplishing by the very same circumstance. God will often have several purposes operating at the same time in our lives in the same specific event as in the life of Joseph and some of those purposes will be the things that Joseph would never ever see outworking because they wouldn't actually come to fruition until hundreds of years after his death some of the purposes Joseph wouldn't have been able to see in the immediate but he would he would see them come to pass later in life while other purposes, as we'll see later, would actually come to pass in the present. And I, I say this to point out that although Joseph is a main character in the story, God himself is a real actor and uh, central actor in the story. And it's his providence that should attract our attention as we continue to, to work through Joseph's story chapter by chapter. I, I like how John Calvin describes this in his commentary. He says, when God might have delivered the holy man, that is Joseph, directly from prison, he could have done that. He chose to lead him around by a circuitous paths to prove his patience and to manifest by the mode of his deliverance that he, God, has wonderful methods of working hidden from our view. We always have to keep that in mind. That in the background of our lives, God is always at work. God never takes a day off. He, he never stops working. He is constantly working things out. All things together for good, as the scripture tells us. But most of us, you know, when we come to Christ, we come with high hopes uh, of answers to life's problems and difficulties. And it's true that the gospel does promise a lot, peace and joy and restored relationships, forgiveness for all our sins, emotional healing, meaning and purpose in life, and much, much more. And we hear stories about how God miraculously answers the prayers of of other Christians and so we begin to pray that God would deal with the major problems that we have to face in our lives and in maybe in the lives of our loved ones and we pray and we pray and we assume that these things uh, will come quickly these these answers will come miraculously will become uh, come to us painlessly and we have high hopes because uh, really our only hope is in God isn't it this episode in Joseph's life teaches us how God will often use disappointments to bring us to the place where our only hope is in God. It can be a painful process sometimes, but as often as not, God has to sometimes strip us of every earthly hope, even of the people of God uh, or whom God can use until our hope, our ultimate hope, is centered completely in him and in him alone. We've got to come to a place where we know experientially that God alone is the one in whom we must trust. That he alone is our refuge and hope. That he alone is our rock. And to do that he often uses disappointments where we have to wait. And where we go from high hopes sometimes to no hope or little hope. And except for God himself of course. It's as if he needs to periodically remind us that our disappointments are his way of saying. You know what? I've got something better for you. Be patient. Have faith. Trust me. 
And I've no doubt that Joseph probably prayed every day that God would get him out of that prison. And he had high hopes that God would answer his prayer. After all, it was based on the dreams he had when he was a a teenager, which he knew were from God. So when these two men were put in prison and had dreams which Joseph interpreted, his hopes soared, thinking that this was God's answer to his prayers and the way God would get him out of prison. And he asked that when one of them would get out, that he would remember to speak about Joseph to, uh, to, to, to the ruler of Egypt. And so he says to the cupbearer, remember me. When you get out, and I can imagine that he might have, at that moment even, folded up his bedroll, collected his few things, and thought about how great it would be to see the sunshine and feel the warmth on his face again. But night came, and there was no word from the jailer about his release, so he would have unfolded his bedroll again, thinking, well, maybe, maybe today was too busy. Tomorrow the cupbearer will mention uh, my situation to Pharaoh. But the next day came and went with no word of release, so we may have asked the jailer, you know, have, haven't you heard anything yet about my situation? Uh, sorry, Joseph, no, heard nothing, nothing yet. Not a word, a week went by, then a month. And Joseph's high hopes were dimmed and, and finally seemingly extinguished as he realized the cupbearer has forgotten me. Now, if we're, if we're honest this morning, and we should be, we're all forgetful people, aren't we? Uh, a keys? Anyone forget their keys somewhere? Anyone forget their wallet? Anyone uh, forget their phone? Uh, we forget all kinds of things. But the worst is when we forget somebody else, another person. Being forgotten is a deadening experience emotionally and spiritually and even physically. And when we're forgotten by those we know and love, we begin to lose our sense of belonging and purpose and eventually hope. These two years spent in Potiphar's prison must have been the darkest days in Joseph's life. These years are passed over by Moses who wrote this account in complete silence. But Proverbs 13 and 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream or a longing fulfilled is like a tree of life. And if Joseph were ever ever in the dumps, it must have been during this time. And yet he was able to endure his disappointing circumstances by having an unshakable, absolute confidence in the fact that God was with him in his suffering and he would yet see the unfolding of God's goodness in the land of the living. Somehow, someday. The tragedy of our day is that there are some people who are teaching that if a Christian merely has enough faith, they'll never need to suffer. Because the death of Christ provides deliverance from all adversity and all difficulty. And had Joseph uh, believed that if he only had faith, he could have been instantly delivered from his troubles, his faith would have been devastated by the fact that his troubles didn't go away. If freedom from pain and problems is solely dependent on our faith, then when pain and problems come our way, there must be something wrong with our faith, according to that teaching. And so Joseph would have been questioning his relationship with God, perhaps even the existence of God, at the very time when he should have been ministering to others and giving testimony to his faith in God, regardless. And another thing that Joseph learned was that he should never put his confidence in man. He tried to get help from human sources, but it failed. Our only help really ultimately comes from the Lord And while he may use other people as his instruments, behind the provision is the hand of the Almighty 
uh, moving us along his, his hidden pathway, if you like. Joseph would like to have been freed long before he was, but it wasn't God's time. And so we need to learn this truth. God has perfect timing, never early, never late. It takes a little patience and it takes a lot of faith, but it's worth the wait, waiting on God. When did he feed Elijah? Morning and evening, right on time. When did he rescue the three Hebrew boys? Not when they would have liked, but right on time. When did he help Daniel? Not when Daniel would have preferred it, but right on time. When did Jesus come to his men uh, on the sea in the stormy night? Not when they thought they needed him, but right on time. You see, there will be some disappointments in our own uh, so-called prison experiences. God will not move when we think he ought to move. And we'll get discouraged. We'll reach out for human help and find that sometimes it falls far short. And that too will disappoint us. So when those times of disappointment come, we can either get discouraged or we can be like Joseph. And we should remember that even though we may feel forgotten, we will never be forsaken by God. Amen. And in his time, he will visit our prison, whatever it is, and he'll set us free. I love how Isaiah Uh, the words of the prophet or the words of God through the prophet uh, came to Isaiah about his people. He said, I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into night before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. Can you say amen to that? Amen. He will not forsake us. You know, our our, uh, disappointments begin when our high hopes and expectations are not met in the way that we expected. Uh, And we sometimes become guilty of trying to force what we want to happen. It's It's a cycle and a behavior pattern that some people allow to continue for years. And if we allow it, it'll cause us to experience hurt and anger and bitterness and resentment towards those who disappoint us, including towards God himself. And it's a notable thing to me that You know, the Old Testament um, uh, character Job and all the things that he faced, and I won't rehearse all that he had to go through, it says he did not curse God, neither did he charge God foolishly. Charging God foolishly is to say or to act as if God doesn't love us. If God loved me, why would he allow that to happen to me? I don't think God cares for me. I don't think God's interested in me. I think that that God has forgotten all about me. That's charging God foolishly. And Joseph refrained from doing that. Joseph went from high hopes to almost no hope, except for God alone. And my experience has been that sometimes, even when to the best of our knowledge, our hope is in God alone, he will test us to prove that. We can see in Joseph's life that there were three indications that his hope was in God. Indications which can help you and me uh, to check and evaluate where our hope really is when our hopes seemingly are dashed or disappointments come. Firstly, if our hope is truly in God, when the circumstances of life disappoint us, we will not be focused on self-pity, but on serving him by serving other people. If we were in Joseph's situation, I think most of us would be so consumed with self-pity that we wouldn't give much thought to the needs of others. But Joseph was sensitive to the needs of these two prisoners. He observed, as the the scriptural record tells us, he observed the dejection on their faces the morning after they had their dreams. He was concerned enough to ask 
asked them about it. But if he'd been self-absorbed, he wouldn't have even noticed. And on the surface, this seemed to be just another assignment given to a slave in the prison to look after a couple of prisoners. But in reality, this was the providence of a sovereign God at work in Joseph's life. God had just brought Joseph face to face with the man who would, he would later use to secure his release from prison. And some people would have said, oh, well, that's just another job for poor old Joseph to take care of. <coughs> but what no one could see was how God was using even the small matter of attending to two other prisoners. Uh, he was using that to become a, a something great down the road. Never discount the small twists and turns of life. Because what we see as a chance encounter may be just the meeting of a lifetime. What we see as an accident or a coincidence is often God's sovereignty at work in our life. I think of 1990. When my wife and I and, and two young kids went across from Portadown to London, England to a great big gathering of the Salvation Army that we, we belonged to in those days, an international gathering. And while we were there on two occasions, we met this couple who were from Chatham, Ontario, Canada. And we had a casual conversation about how things were and that we even swapped addresses. And the outcome of that was that two years later, we moved as a family to Chatham, Ontario, Canada and we lived in Canada for 25 years, ministering there for the Salvation Army to begin with, and then as a pastor for 10 years in another church. I discounted that casual meeting. It's a coincidence, a happenstance, something that happens. But it was God, the sovereignty of God, working in the background to bring that about. You can also see Joseph's consideration for others in his plea to the, to the cupbearer. In defending his innocence, you know, Joseph could have run down his brothers. He could have blamed Potiphar's wife and Potiphar himself for the way that they had mistreated him. But Joseph tactfully says that he was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews and that he had done nothing to deserve being thrown in prison. He wasn't having a pity party, blaming everybody else for his trials, even though in this case everybody else was to blame. In his own suffering, he was still aware of the needs of others. And so if the first evidence of our hope being truly in God when circumstances disappoint us is not to be focused on self-pity, secondly, if our hope is truly in God, we will have a positive and not a cynical attitude. Now I'm not talking about Norman Vincent Peale's power of positive thinking, which is not biblical, but about the joyful hope that comes from trusting God and his promises. Joseph's confidence was no wide-eyed optimism, pie in the sky, by and by. I believe it was motivational speaker Zig Ziglar who has been quoted as saying, I'm not such an optimist, I'd go after Moby Dick, or, or I am such an optimist that I'd go after Moby Dick in a rowboat and I'd take tartar sauce with me. And that's optimism, isn't it? But the truth is that unless God has instructed us to pursue Moby Dick in a rowboat, the mere fact of our optimism won't necessarily give us success. In fact, unless God has ordained it, we may very well be delaying his perfect will for us. If we try and take it out of his hands. Put yourself again in Joseph's place. He'd been given a dream from God himself earlier. And in his dream, he's going to rule someday. But his dream is yet to be fulfilled. And in fact, from all appearances, it appears that his dreams have all been shattered. What does he do? 
Does he get angry and give up on God? Does he say, I, you know, I'm finished with all this dream and stuff, just leave me alone? Even though Joseph finds himself hanging on in one of God's waiting rooms, so to speak, he doesn't lose grip on his dreams or on, on the God who gave them to him. In fact, Joseph is actively looking for ways to glorify God while he waits in prison. And there are going to be some times when along the way it seems that God has forgotten all about us. There will be times when it seems that our dreams have been derailed. There will be times when we find ourselves in one of God's waiting rooms in life. But even while we're waiting, our duty is still to actively seek ways to glorify him. And so we need to learn how to glorify him when the sun is shining and when the rain is falling. Because if he's the God of the mountain, he's also the God of the valley, or he isn't God at all. And yet waiting is perhaps the hardest discipline in the Christian life. Most of us have to wait. I know I do. And, and probably all of us are waiting for something this very moment, waiting to graduate, waiting to be accepted into college, waiting to find out what God wants you to do, waiting for your first job offer, waiting to see if the bank will give you a loan, waiting to meet the right guy or the right girl, waiting to be married, waiting for the right time to start a family, waiting for someone to buy your house, waiting for your prayers to be answered. We all have to wait at times whether we like it or not. And if truth be told, most of life, is about waiting. The action of life is very small compared to the waiting, which can be very large. But as he waited, Joseph could have become totally cynical by this point of his life. When these men mentioned their dreams, he could have cynically said, yeah, 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 I hear you. I used to believe in dreams too. Look where it got me. But instead, he had a positive, cheerful attitude, saying in verse 8, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Having a positive attitude means that you focus on the things you can do in a situation, not the things that you can't do. Joseph could have thought, well, what's the use of telling these two characters the meaning of their dreams? They won't, that won't get me anywhere. But instead he focused on what he could do for them. And he did it in a positive way. Joseph may be in a prison. His dreams may seem to have been shattered. It may seem that he's in the prison to stay. But Joseph still had joy in the midst of his suffering. Most of us have no problem being joyous when we have no problems. We, we praise the Lord. We laugh. We smile. We're joyful when our need is being met. But it takes someone filled with genuine faith and hope to praise the Lord when the bottom of life falls out. Joseph is in that prison, but he's happy because he's serving the Lord and the Lord is blessing him even in the prison. And anybody can praise the Lord and be filled with joy when everything is going their way. When the bills are being paid, when everyone's healthy, when there's no problems, it's easy to say hallelujah, glory to God. But when, when you're getting nowhere, you know, when your heart is broken, can you still praise the Lord? You should be able to praise the Lord. When you shout and bless his name in spite of and in the midst of your pain and your heartache, it glorifies him. Most Christians aren't even good for a holy grunt anymore because they're like the butler and the baker and when things aren't so good, they go around with a sad, gloomy face feeling dejected. What a terrible testimony that is for a child of God. Lord, give us more people like Job 
who would praise and worship the Lord in the midst of extreme hardship. Give us more people like Abraham, who went to offer up his son Isaac and called it worship. Give us more people who know that you're just as much God in the storm as you are in a sunny day. Lord, give us people who will worship and praise you in spite of everything. And may God help us to learn that he's always God and he's always good, regardless of how life treats us. Amen. During this time in prison, as he did in Potiphar's house, Joseph was building a reputation through the little things that he did. The jailer would have vouched for Joseph's personal character and cheerful spirit. And while it wasn't a pleasant task to tell the baker that he'd be executed in three days' time, nevertheless, Joseph spoke the truth in love, which again fits the overall pattern of integrity that marked his life. And while we can't often control many of the things that happen to us, we can control our attitude in response to the things that happen to us. That doesn't mean that we deny reality or we overlook problems, but if our hope is in God, we will evidence a positive, cheerful attitude despite what might seem like a hopeless or disappointing situation. And then the third test to measure our hope by, well, it's almost self-evident. If our hope is truly in God, we will be quick, listen, we will be quick to include him in dealing with our problems. Notice as soon as these men mention their dreams, Joseph walked so closely with God that he automatically mentioned God. And he had such a trust in God that his answer assumed that God would reveal the meaning of these dreams to him. If our hope is in God, he should be our first thought in a crisis, not the last resort. But so often we try everything else. And finally we'll say, well, we've tried everything else now. All we can do is pray. You know, calling on God in prayer ought to be the first thing that comes to mind when our hopes are dashed or when disappointments come because while we can often do more after we pray, we should, we should never do anything until we pray. And what a great way to witness to lost people, to tell them, I know God and he has an answer to your problem and I'll pray for you. And this time in prison taught Joseph and is teaching us, I believe this morning, some biblical truths that we can, we can take to the bank. First of all, God's always sovereign, even when it seems like he's forgotten us. God allowed these two men to come into the same prison as Joseph. It was God who gave them their dreams. And even though it seemed like the timing was wrong in that he, he wasted two years of Joseph's life, God was bringing all these strands together so that everything was working out according to his timing. God's people down through history have gone through terrible trials. And a skeptic might say that God is cruel to allow suffering and such things. But the truth is that we have, no, we have no view, really, of God's eternal plans. And it's hard for us to even understand how God lovingly will discipline his people to share his holiness and righteousness with them. In Psalms 42 and 43, the psalmist is taunted by his critics. Where is your God? But he answers with the great refrain, 42, Psalm 42, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why, are, why are, is there turmoil within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And when the enemy taunts us by saying, look at your circumstances, and you'll see that your God is unfaithful, he's unkind, we need to say to our soul, hope thou in God. Hope thou in God, because none who have hoped in him have ever been disappointed. Don't doubt his goodness when he lovingly uh, purifies your faith 
through the, the hardship of dashed hopes or disappointment. God's always sovereign. Secondly, God's promises are true in his timing, not ours. If Joseph had been released when he thought he should have been, he may never have been appointed as second in charge in Egypt. God's way and timing were clearly the best. And like it or not, there are certain lessons such as patience and endurance and perseverance that we can't learn except by waiting on God. We're often tempted to judge things by our temporal perspective rather than by his eternal perspective. And so often we want to take the initiative. We want to force things to happen. But no matter how well intended we are, if we try to take the initiative away from God, we're simply in danger of offering our selfishness to him. So we must be patient. Let God be God. And only do what he's calling us to do in each moment. And thirdly, we're not responsible for the behavior or attitude of other people, but we are responsible for our own. Joseph could have become very angry towards the cupbearer for forgetting them, but he let his resentment and, and let his resentment burn out into bitterness and revenge. And he may have felt he had a justifiable cause to be angry. People may have mistreated us and disappointed us because they were being selfish or just being uncaring jerks. But we always have a choice. We can either grow bitter and angry and blame them for our troubles or we can trust in the sovereignty of God and rejoice in his grace towards us. They will have to give an account to God for how they sinned against us, but we will also have to give an account to God for our attitude and our behavior in response to their sin against us. And lastly, God's grace is always sufficient if we're willing to receive it. Joseph came through these trials stronger, not weaker. He came through these trials gentle, not bitter, because he hoped in God. And even though he was in prison, God was with him. And even though the cupbearer forgot him, God didn't. Joseph experienced what Paul and every other believer uh, undergoing trials has experienced, that God's grace is sufficient for our time of need if we will just receive it. In the 19th century, great British preacher Charles Spurgeon was riding home. It was horse riding in those days after a heavy day's ministry, feeling weary and a little depressed when 2 Corinthians 12 and 19 flashed into his mind. And of course it says, my grace is sufficient for you. And in response, he said, I should think it is, Lord. I should think it is. And he burst out laughing when the realization dawned on him again that we can't exhaust the grace of God to meet our need in every trial. I was just going to ask the worship team to come back as we prepare to close the service. But some of you here this morning, I have no doubt, maybe in the middle of some difficult situations, some disappointing situations, maybe dashed hopes in some regard. Maybe it's a marriage or some other relationship that's in trouble. Maybe it's a child who's rebelled and turned away from the faith and even against you. It may be the loss of a job. It may be a serious health problem. Maybe a friend who has maligned you, turned their back on you. Or some situation that hasn't turned out the way you wanted it to. You had high hopes, but now you feel you have little hope or maybe even no hope. Well, can I ask you to allow the truth of what we've shared this morning to, to rekindle your desire to trust only in God and to allow what you're dealing with to mature your faith and to build godly character 
as you wait on his timing, remembering that he hasn't forgotten you. Let's just bow in prayer for a moment.